Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, and welcome back to New Books in Eastern European Studies. My name is Piotr Kosicki. I'm a history professor at the University of Maryland in College Park. I am very pleased to welcome a very special guest to our podcast today. Uh, we are welcoming Dr. Piotr Cywiński, the director of the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum. Uh, he is here to discuss with us his newly translated book, Auschwitz, a monograph on the human, which appeared in 2022 with the press of the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum. Uh, welcome, Dr. Cywiński. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so, Dr. Cywiński has served as director of the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum for the past 17 years, since 2006. A trained medievalist, he is an actively engaged leader in Polish-Jewish and Christian-Jewish ecumenical dialogue. He co-founded and serves as chairman of the Auschwitz-Birkenau Foundation, as well as the board of the Auschwitz-Birkenau Institute. Piotr Cywiński is chief expert of the Center for Research on the Economics of Memorial Sites, at the SWPS University of Social Sciences and Humanities in Warsaw, as well as co-founder and chairman of the Society for Management of Memorial Sites. From 2017 to 2021, he was chairman of the program board of the Jewish Historical Institute in Warsaw. He is also a member of other boards and councils of various European institutions, organizations, and memorials. Dr. Cywiński is the author of numerous historical publications, mainly focused on the Middle Ages and on issues connected with the Shah and its memorialization. His latest, very important volume is the subject of our discussion today. So uh, if you'll permit me to begin maybe with a, a couple of questions about uh, yourself and how you came to the museum. Uh, as you mentioned in the preface to your book, you're a medievalist by training. Uh, your background, I know, is in ecumenical dialogue, and you have a long record of leadership roles in Poland's Catholic Intelligentsia Clubs movement, something I've researched in my own uh, scientific work. I am uh, curious, and I'm sure our readers are too, how did it happen? that you became director of the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum. It was a, a long story, to, to be honest. In 2000, I think, uh, Professor Władysław Bartoszewski, who was appointed, reappointed as a chief of the International Auschwitz Council, asked me if I would accept to be member of this council just to be the secretary general of this council because he said yes uh, you know in this council we are mainly survivors we are becoming more and more older we need somebody young to to help us a little bit it's not a big deal you know it's, it's not a job it's, it's a service you, you two two meetings per year it's not uh, it's not too much uh, okay you know, Bartoszewski was an enormous authority in, in, in Poland, especially on those issues of the history of the 20th century of Auschwitz or Second World War. Uh, and of course, I accepted uh, proudly to help him. And I was secretary of this council, a council, yes, 
25 people around the world, from the US, from uh, Great Britain, from France, from Israel, from Poland, from Russia, from, from really different countries, uh, that was, let's say, the highest authority in order to, to make some very sometimes difficult choices about the, uh, yes, the, uh, how to how to preserve Auschwitz, how to how to teach Auschwitz, how to how to deal with this history. Uh, there were really some uh, excellent survivors, professors of, of history themselves, from Yad Vashem, from people from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. So I served during six years. Mm, and uh, and after those six years, uh, my predecessor in the museum uh, was preparing his retreat, and and they asked me to 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 continue as a director of the museum. It was for me a very difficult choice because uh, yes, I was a medievalist uh, historian. Uh, I just finished my PhD. I, I wanted really to, to, to work more on those 10, 11th century, really old times. Uh, I, feel, I felt very comfortable in, in, in that period. Uh, but uh, at least, you know, you cannot refuse uh, such an ask uh, coming from a, a group of eminent survivors, uh, uh, the most, uh, let's say, uh, well-known authorities uh, uh, on the topic of the Shoah or concentration camps. Uh, you can't say no and, and, uh, and what to do after, you know. It's, it's, it's... So I accepted. It was for me a complete changes because, of course, I, I did not have any more time to, to working on my early Middle Ages. But uh, very, very quickly, I, I understood that it was perhaps one of the most important decisions in my life and one of the most difficult responsibilities that uh, that one can imagine. Uh, because it's not only the site, it's not only the preservation of the site, it's not only, let's say, the organization of the visit, but it's also the, the, the clear voice of this history, the clear message uh, going uh, completely to the entire world that you, you have to manage. Uh, and of course, at the beginning, uh, there were still a lot of survivors who were able to help me to understand uh, the past, to understand their story, their remembrance, their, uh, let's say, anxiety about the today's time. But with the years, uh, this group becomes more and more small, of course, because they are very, very old people. <laughs> And uh, and of course, I felt that uh, the the role that is, uh, is on, on on my position becomes more and more crucial, especially in the world that is changing so quickly. So many different other tragedies or or, or politics of dehumanization appears in so many different places, like. At least today in, in Ukraine, attacked by Russia, but, but in so many other places. So, so, of course, this voice of Auschwitz becomes a crucial issue for, for the present and the future. This was really briefly said the story of my, of my uh, work in Auschwitz in the last 17 years. Well, I was going to say 17 years is an enormous amount of time to be at the helm of any institution. But, of course, Auschwitz is 
possibly the well, certainly one of the most visible memorial sites in the world, certainly the most visible Holocaust memorial site in the world. I, I, I realize also it's not just the museum. It's uh, not just the crafting of the experience of the encounter with those who visit, but also uh, research and a publishing institution. And you mentioned, uh, of course, having a lot less time or no time to work on on your uh, interest as a medievalist, but you've published a great deal, both in terms of your own analysis and collections of testimonies uh, over the years from Auschwitz survivors. Uh, I'm curious if you can talk for a minute, and this is by way of now transitioning into the book that is our focus today, how you personally have chosen which projects uh, to take on and which really needed to be published, also which ones needed to be published in English versus being published in Polish by the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum. Uh, we have a, a group of, of historians or, or scientific people in the museum, eight or ten, it depends on the years, uh, and they have their own chief, the chief of the center of studies. So there's nothing more, let's say, awful than a director, let's say, manager who, <laughs> who enter with his ideas uh, to, a, to a historical center, uh, let's say, to, to, to a group of, of, of historians and, and to say them what they have to do or what they do not have to do. So I, I really try not to influence them, not to enter in their um, uh, their programs or, or, or their uh, evolution of the of the studies. Um, but as far as I am, not only a manager now, but a historian uh, at the business, I started my own, uh, let's say, researches. Uh, based on the archives of Auschwitz, based on the uh, all, all the books uh, written by the survivors, um, based on, on diverse documents, uh, plans, and uh, all, all what is uh, disponible in the, around the world. Uh, but of course, it was not my uh, my job as a director of the museum. It was something that they did uh, mainly. Uh, and very late uh, in the evening or, or during nights uh, after my work, uh, because I was thinking that I have something to 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 tell to to to, to the to the new generations. First of all, I uh, in in this uh, subject of of, of voices of uh, survivors, uh, I wrote five uh, small books uh, read. Uh, different aspects of, of the Auschwitz history, like uh, the arrival to the Rampa of the Jewish transport, like the beginning of the camp uh, with some Polish transport from from the prison of Tarnów, like uh, the story of the Sonderkommando, those uh, uh, those prisoners who, who were obliged to to to, to work uh, close to the gas chambers and the crematoria. So, um, yes, it was my first approach when I was trying to, to collect as many, uh, uh, let's say, uh, memoirs of, of, of survivors in order to, to give them the voice uh, and to, to let them present some parts of the story. Uh, 
It took me, I don't know, two or three years to, 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 to publish uh, in Polish uh, until now only those, those five uh, small books. And when I was thinking what to, if I have to continue this series or if I have to, to, to change something or if I have something else to say, I was arriving to the conclusion that finally we are, we are speaking since decades about facts about uh, dates, about numbers, about uh, really a, a historiography very, uh, very precise, very, very, let's say, uh, like in, in, in the books of uh, of history in, in the colleges. You know, you, you have only facts and, and numbers or percentages, or I don't know what. Um, but in fact, when you when you read. Uh, and I read a lot of uh, of books of, of survivors, or even things that were never published. Mm. You arrive to the conclusion that, from one side, yes, it's normal that historians after the war, especially in the last, uh, I don't know, four decades, maybe, uh, were uh, terrifically uh, work, working really in, in a very hard way on the facts because it's a story that was. Uh, uh, that was attacked, that was uh, denied, that was, uh, uh, let's say, uh, changed so many times by some uh, so, so some crazy people that we, we must be sure about, about some fundamental uh, historical truth. But uh, at least the, the survivors told us about some completely also different uh, things that were, that were their own... Um, experience their human uh, let's say conditions uh, they were trying to explain how they survived uh, what was their force what was their uh, fear um, all this interior uh, of the human beings that that you know didn't finish uh, with the liberation because until the end of their life they were dreaming about that they were uh, they've got some uh, Traumatical uh, reactions uh, nearly every day on, on those bases. It was it was a, an experience that was with them until the end of their life, uh, and uh, and we didn't really analyze this in a in a large perspective because we were so focused every historian about the facts and numbers and the the, the concrete dates. Uh, so the human this human perspective was a little bit. Let's say a part of uh, it was a bit far of our, uh, our our focus of uh, of history, and that's why I, I was coming back to all those testimonies and I was trying to 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 read them one more time and to find uh, those uh, words, those uh, quotes, those uh, small fragments that were learning us about what Auschwitz was in their own experience. Uh, what was the loneliness in the camp? What was the hunger? What was the cold? What was the uh, lack of hygiene? What was the, I don't know, the willpower, the, the friendship, the empathy, the, the love maybe, the fear, you know, all those feelings that are, are let's say, an essence, if you want really to, to, to understand what Auschwitz was. Uh, and uh, after yes, some five years maybe of of, of research, 
uh, I arrived to, to a moment that uh, these collections of, of quotations was, I don't know, more than 1,700 uh, quotations, uh, quotes of uh, survivors. Uh, and uh, I was arriving to, uh, to a moment that uh, I said to myself, yes, I have to, 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 to try to explain that to a larger public because, of course, in my approach, it was something very, very linked to what those survivors from the International Auschwitz Council or some other survivors that were coming back to Auschwitz for, I don't know, conferences or educational purposes, was telling me many, many times. Uh, and they, they, let's say, um, let's say, presented me this way of thinking, this way of, 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 of approaching the history of Auschwitz, not through facts, but through emotions and through individual experience. Uh, and this was how this, this, uh, this last book, mm, this is one more monographic, but completely different from all, all the other monographies uh, on Auschwitz or on the Holocaust, the Shoah, uh, was, was prepared. Thank you very much. Uh, the reader, any reader of this book will immediately discover it's a big book. It's a book of synthesis, but also it's a book that so heavily draws on so many different uh, primary source testimonies. I mean, you mentioned the number of quotations. It's it's extraordinary. I, I wanted to maybe ask a few different questions, but I, I, I'll start with, with this one in particular. I was reading your preface, and of course, it's Hard not to have that line from Adorno in one's head about there being no poetry after Auschwitz, but there was testimony. And so I grew up in the United States. I had to read parts of Primo Levi actually in high school. So in that sense, I, I had already when I was quite young in my mind, some of these uh, testimony uh, writings. However, there seems like a paradox here. And I was wondering if you could reflect, please, for a moment uh, for our, our listeners' benefit. On the one hand, you mentioned that for getting at the human experience of Auschwitz, there are no other sources than the former prisoner memoirs, accounts, and stories. You actually say, I'm quoting, it is only there that a historian can seek information in your preface. At the end, though, of the book, in the conclusions, you say, I'm quoting again, we, all, we also must remember that they only told us about that which they wanted to tell, that which they were capable of telling, and what, according to them, we should understand. Uh, that's the end of the quote. And I think that that makes perfect sense. Of course, it's a very uh, elegant way of bringing the book to a close. I'm curious if these two are in contradiction uh, not because of anything you've done, but because of the nature of the sources and how you as the historian and your readers as students of history should experience or process that contradiction. I'm not sure if the term of contradiction is maybe not too brutal. Uh, it's a... It is how I experience that these sources. Of course, there are the only sources that we have. But if I refer to to my uh, medieval uh, researchers, we never have enough sources for the 10th or the 11th century. We are every time in a deep lack of sources. Here we have certainly more 
sources than than for the 11th century, for example. Uh, but uh, but we have to, without entering in, in some uh, psychological approaches. I am not a psychologist. I didn't want to, to 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 do something. But it's very clear for me if I analyze those sources in a in a critical approach that. Not everything was certainly told. There are themes that are less present uh, for different reasons, certainly. Uh, for example, the shock was too, too, too big or the trauma was too big. Uh, a few prisoners uh, are speaking about the, the, the kids in the camp, for example. Uh, and for me, it's very, very clear that this is uh, something that was so traumatic for them uh, that they... They didn't find, let's say, the, 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 the good words to 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 to, to, to speak, to, to to report what's what's happened, uh, but also some some other certainly certainly uh, tema did do not appear uh, many times. And I think that, in another hand, uh, the majority of the survivors. When they prepared their uh, memoirs, uh, they uh, were deeply analyzing in their mind what we, the post-war generations, uh, that was not going through this experience, uh, what we will be able to understand. Because, uh, first of all, the reality of the camp is something completely different from our world. And from the other hand, uh, even our words, our expressions, our uh, you know, they are coming from a free world, uh, from a natural world, uh, and they are not every time. Let's say uh, they are not some perfect designations to, to, to speak about Auschwitz. And this is uh, methodologically uh, very difficult, certainly, if you have to speak about a word completely different using our normal words. When you, when you speak about the fear or about hunger, it's something completely different uh, than we can imagine when we use other, our today's, uh, I don't know, uh, language, those, those notions. Because it was something not pushed at the extremity of those notions. It was something uh, catapulted uh, far, 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 far uh, after the borders, let's say, of, of, of what we understand what we are speaking about, uh, about those notions. So for those different reasons, uh, I'm... After all those lectures and after all those discussions with survivors also, I'm quite sure that they were speaking only about things that they were thinking that we will be able to understand. Thank you very much. Uh, so I, you mentioned already that the historiography has traditionally focused a great deal on uh, defining the fact pattern for obvious reasons because of the long history of denialism and revisionism and the need to establish the foundations. Uh, that being said, I will, I, I, as a reader, I felt like you, you, maybe because the book is in translation, but I want as many readers as possible to read it in translation. So I will ask this question. Did you make a choice to, uh, 
draw less maybe than you might have on the English language historiography. It, it didn't necessarily seem relevant given the argument you are often making about experience. But uh, since I am always thinking about how I'm going to teach a book, uh, and I was thinking about the same thing when I was reading your book, I did note the fact that really for me, this is almost a, a subject for a workshop and how to seek out different primary sources in different venues. But almost all of the scholarship that you reference is in Polish, and almost all of it is from several decades ago. Uh, and I'm just curious if you feel like that was almost, you know, like przegląd lekarski or zeszyty oświęcimskie. They are in their own way a kind of set of primary sources. So I was curious if that's why you use them and you didn't want to get into the big historiography or if there was a different choice there. You know. 90% of my uh, my uh, books that I uh, that I quote in in these books uh, are survivors books um, and of course um, my language limitations was uh, certainly uh, one of the more critical aspects of this work but this is something that uh, every uh, scholars that are working on the holocaust uh, you know i was able to 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 read in english in polish in french more or less in in, in german or, or in italian or, or in czech but certainly not in in hungarian or in yiddish so so this is uh, already something very very difficult but uh, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, this review that was published in, in Krakow in some 30 years, the Przegląd Lekarski, uh, was the only one publication in the world when many different aspects of the life in the camp and many different aspects of what that means being survivors was analyzed by uh, diverse uh, doctors, uh, psychologists, or historians. Uh, it, it was really the only, the only one. Uh, it was nominated two times for the Nobel Prize. Uh, this uh, this uh, publications of uh, so something like 30, 30 volumes. Uh, that's why I, I used it. Uh, a lot, but we have to, to think that um, we have to remember that you know, uh, in the early times after the war, there were some first uh, memoirs of prisoners that was published, uh, and some uh, some research of the Katzet syndrome, so of the let's say uh, psychological and. Uh, not only psychological, but but uh, health uh, influence of the uh, of the camp on the su survivors. This was done particularly in Germany uh, because they, they, there were some 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 programs of help to to to, to, to the survivors after the war. Uh, but in fact, during long long decades, it, it was a history. Uh, Operated on facts and not on emotions or 
or human interior. Uh, and the majority of the uh, of the memoirs of survivors uh, were published uh, at the end of their life, in the 90s, in the 2000s. Uh, many of them were not uh, translated until now in, in, uh, in many other languages. The first one, yes, Primo Levi, of course, Elie Wiesel, uh, many, many others, yes, because they were the first in the 50s, in the, uh, some of them even uh, at the end of the 40s. Uh, but uh, but those who were published in the last, uh, let's say, 25 years were not translated so much uh, because at that time there were already many uh, of them uh, published in different languages. So uh, this is also uh, something that influenced this book, but I think that it's, this reality influenced every book uh, on, on Auschwitz or on the Holocaust because the diversity of languages is absolutely enormous. Uh, you have sources published in, I don't know, 12 or 15 languages uh, at least. Uh, uh, some languages that are that were even not linked to some to some to some concrete countries like the Ladino uh, for the for the Jews from Greece or or, or the Balkans. Uh, it's very very difficult to to to, to prepare a book uh, that uh, would uh, present, let's say, uh, uh, let's say, uh, conclusions from from all around the world. Uh, because nobody, no, strictly no one historian of the Holocaust is able to speak in in twelve or, or, or fifteen languages. Uh, thank you. I, I I should ask. I mean, obviously, the language that is most familiar to you, I would assume you would agree, is Polish. And this is, I think, an interesting question that you raise. I like that you raised it already in the preface. And I'm curious how you felt your own position on this question changed while you were writing the book. In the preface, you mentioned that during the communist times, because, of course, the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum was in communist Poland, uh, most of the testimonies that were produced were Polish non-Jewish testimonies. And I'm curious how you feel now having gone through, you put it, tens or hundreds of thousands of pages, uh, what is the role and what is the proper proportion for Polish language testimony in the overall field of testimony? And, and this is even before we get into questions about the Holocaust and the non-Jewish experience, but just Polish language, uh, where does it belong? You know, I uh, I can speak only about Auschwitz. I didn't uh, analyze this uh, in the history of the ghettos or some other camps, of course. Uh, but in Auschwitz, some 405,000 people were entered into the camp. That means they were not murdered directly after the arrival, but they were uh, they received a number. They they were prisoners. 405,000. Half of them were Jews, 150,000 were Poles, some smaller groups were uh, so-called Gypsy, Roma, and Sinti, or, or, or Soviet uh, prisoners of war. Uh, so I think that 
today, when we analyze those uh, those testimonies that are uh, coming from the survivors of Auschwitz, it represents those proportions, uh, more or less. Uh, but of course, some of those testimonies were not given in Auschwitz, in our museum, but were given in some other institutions. So I've got to work at that time uh, with, uh, for example, with a, with a great help of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, or some some friends, specialists in this history from France, or I've got to, 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 to search by myself uh, some publications that were published in, in, in different countries, even even sometimes in those countries when uh, that, that was not participating in the Second World War, like Switzerland, but I received some uh, some survivors after the war, and that published uh, some, I don't know, 20 or 30 very interesting uh, testimonies of those people after the war. So, so now, now the main question is not the proportion, it's not the, the numbers, it's not the... Uh, the main question is that it is... There are some very important archives or collections uh, in, in, in a few institutions, like Washington, like Yad Vashem in uh, Jerusalem, like Poland, like France, uh, but uh, like Baderolzen, for example, uh, in Germany. But uh, but also some publications that were published but only in those countries, sometimes in a very small uh, small uh, number of books. You know, uh, I've got some uh, some uh, some uh, editions of, of memoirs that was published. I don't know, fifty for exemplars, for example, uh, mainly for the approaches or, or one or, or two exemplars sent to some universities. It was sometimes quite difficult to to to, to find them. So I, I will then ask also about how the testimonies that you read have made you think now that you've written the book, published the book about the difference between Jewish experience and other experiences. I don't want to generalize. Uh, I, I like the fact that in the book you draw distinctions, but also collect testimonies. Uh, on the other hand, you you do make some distinctions. For example, especially in the initial phase, you talk about the impact those who on that ramp saw their loved ones for the very last time, right? And the gas chambers are ever-present uh, in the testimonies. So what would, if you could offer some generalizations for our listeners' benefit, uh, the Jewish experience of the prisoners versus non-Jewish experience. Um, in other words, how much of your book contributes to the Holocaust scholarship versus how much is specifically Auschwitz? Mm, I really wanted to, to, to speak about Auschwitz, uh, but Auschwitz has two periods, uh, it's uh, 1940 to 1942. It's a regular concentration camp, uh, mainly for Poles, but among them you have also some first Jews who appears because they were part of the intelligentsia, the part of the elites of the country, they were sent for, for different reasons to the camp. And from 42 until the 
nearly the end, until the end of 44 at least, uh, it becomes also a, a center of, uh, of extermination. And from that time, it was, of course, uh, a, a different story that plays in the same place. But the two stories have their own survivors. And the two story, uh, for some let's say, approaches, can be compared and can be can be analyzed. Let's say together. Of course, it was a, a completely different different story for for, for different different uh, reasons. Uh, as you mentioned, the arrival with entire families. Uh, if you think about some uh, very orthodox families, it could be uh, 20 people. It, it could be really uh, some important big families when after two hours, only one or two of them survived in the camp because all the others from the Rampa were conducted to the to the gas chambers. This is something completely different and uh, emotionally, of course, it uh, it plays an enormous role. But there was also some other, I think, aspect that was very, very important uh, in this, let's say, differentiation between between the two groups. Uh, for the Christians in the camp, it was perhaps more easy to refer to their faith, to their religion. Because in the Christianity, you have this very important symbol of a God who died himself in a cruel way uh, in order to to save the, the humanity, okay? Uh, of course, I don't want to enter in any comparison. I am not a theologian, but, but let's say this perspective of a um, very, very, very important, I think, uh, perspective of, of, uh, of, of a cruel end that can have a sense uh, is something completely different of the Jewish experience. Uh, in the Jewish religion, the base, the basic, let's say, idea of the Jewish religion is a pact between the God and the chosen uh, nation. And this pact said, you will be my uh, nation and I will be your God. Uh, I will protect you, I will, I will save you. you. Remember the the, the, the the going through the, the Red Sea and all, all, all this history, let's say, it's, it's a completely different approach because at that moment the pact didn't function. Uh, and for, for many of them, it was, uh, it was a, a moment of... Um, they didn't know really uh, at, at that time, even, even great, great rabbis uh, or, or, uh, or religious authorities didn't have enough answer to that when, when they were thinking among them uh, what's going on. Uh, what is the sense of the religion if, if the fundamental pact do not, uh, do not work? So, so this also was, was uh, I, I think, some, some important uh, differences between those two, two, two worlds. Of course, I'm not speaking about the comportment of the Nazi, the SS of the who for sure treated the Jews in a, in a, in a certainly more uh, critical uh, and bad way than uh, than the Christians. Yeah, no, of course. And, and in the book, you, you you draw many such I think important distinctions. The question of religion is profoundly, uh, uh, I think. Um, uh, 
obviously confusing in the sense that it introduces a kind of structural uh, differentiation, but at the same time, it really helps to get at this question of experience. Uh, like you said, without getting into th high theology, you, I found your chapter on faith and religiosity to be very, very illuminating. And it, that point about choosing to talk about faith as a way of seeing one distinction between different groups, uh, you chose many topics to discuss in this book. Um, for, the, for those who haven't read it yet, it's not chronological. I don't think it could be chronological, given the nature of the testimony. It is about, uh, arranged by topics. So it, you yourself already have mentioned a few, sex, faith, resistance, empathy, decency. If I can ask in general terms, how did you pick the topics? I know you, you talk very, uh, I think, importantly at the beginning of your chapter on death, and you say, well, initially I thought death would be at the end, and then I realized that makes no sense. It, it, it's not accurate. But how did you pick the other topics? Uh, it was a long story also. At the beginning, when I was collecting the, uh, the quotations of the testimonies, I, I prepared some 30 or 35 different, let's say, uh, uh, bags when I put those, 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 uh, those quotations, those quotes. Uh, but uh, sometimes I realized when this bag was coming more and more full of, of quote that it was my projections, my, my, my vision, my, it was based on my experience and not really on what they told us. So sometimes I have to divide those collections, those bags into two other bags or, or I've got to, to put two together. It, it was a, a quite long evolution because really what I wanted... My, I think my biggest fear was that it could not be a book that I will be, the, say, the uh, the director of uh, of the structure or, or or this message. I really wanted to to to, to give uh, the floor to, to to the survivors. So so, so many times I, I've got to rethink, let's say, the structure in order to be more accurate to what they say to us. Oh, I understand. Uh, I, the structure, though, also for me, so I'm, I'm a professor. I teach courses where I will directly use probably not the whole book, given its length, but, but parts of the book I will use for sure. And I was just making notes to myself. You know, obviously in the past, I've used parts of Primo Levi or Elie Wiesel or uh, Victor Franco. And these books make impressions on students. I think that your book will too. I'm curious if you have any maybe adv advice or counsel is one way of thinking about it, but how you thought about students coming to the book. Holocaust education obviously is a, a huge priority internationally and very importantly so. It's not the same as genocide prevention, but the two conversations are linked. So this book, your book, I think could be taught in Holocaust courses, but of course, the Holocaust is an overlapping part of other stories. World War II, Nazi Germany, resistance. Do you have a sense 
of where the book fits best maybe for students or I know that this is just a, a recommendation, but I'm curious what you think as a as a teaching tool. You know, uh, when I was starting uh, to, to 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 work on these books, I wanted to achieve two goals. First of all, that it will be certainly a historical, scientific book, uh, but. Uh, I wanted that it will be written in a way that could interest the large public also. Uh, there are so many historical books that are absolutely impossible to be written to be to be read by by, by a large public because they are they are, they are interesting only the, the specialists of, of of this topic. Now here I really wanted to to to, to create something. Um, uh, something uh, larger, let's say, from that, that perspective. And, uh, mm, you know, I was already, since the Polish version was published one year before the English version, um, I was already uh, inv- invited to some discussions uh, about uh, the experience of the uh, prisoners of the Soviet gulag system of the camps, from the perspective of this book, of course, if I see some differences or not, I was already discussing uh, some ideas of these books with some uh, people from Rwanda who, who wanted also to 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 see something more. So I think you know here I described Auschwitz, but at, at least now in the two days time, Auschwitz becomes a, 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 a symbol worldwide, representing not only Auschwitz. But also the entire Holocaust, uh, even the, if the Holocaust didn't start uh, in the gas chambers, this was the last uh, uh, element. Um, uh, but it's also a symbol very, very important for many other genocides or, or, or politics of uh, dehumanizations. Uh, I am in contact with many different institutions in the world. Uh, I don't know, Cambodia or, or many, many others, and uh, Armenia. And, 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 and of course, I see that this, let's say, reference point that is Auschwitz is very, very important to them. Also to think about the differences, about the, uh, you know. Um, so so I, I think it was very important to, to present Auschwitz as it was, at the level of the human experience, because it will perhaps help the others to to find some, uh, I don't know, some uh, specific uh, differences uh, in some other history, uh, and perhaps to also to try to 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 work more with uh, with the testimonies and with the, the, the quotes of of survivors, because it's it's extremely important. Mm, you 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 can't uh, you can't really present this history of uh, of human being in, in those extreme conditions uh, without uh, without those those uh, those quotes without those testimonies, uh, and I think there is still some countries that uh, it's quite possible to have some very large uh, testimonies like Rwanda, for example. Some others, like Armenia, who certainly uh, it's too late to find some new uh, sources. Uh, 
uh, but there are still some tragedies in the world, and, and and I think there are things that could be uh, could be analyzed in the similar way in order to to, to find some um, perhaps uh, at the end some uh, some uh, regularities, some uh, uh, something that you can you can really uh, compare not only to to compare because comparison in, in such a disaster uh, are sometimes painful, but in order to understand the mechanisms. Uh, think about, about the, the war now in, uh, in Ukraine. This war will be a completely different war than all the others war, only because every soldier and every victim has a mobile phone. So he recalled hundreds of thousands of pictures and at the meta version you have the localizations the exact time you have you have every information uh, if you think about the second world war or some other wars like i don't know vietnam or uh, or different other conflicts you never had a so important potential source of information of visual information uh, taking at the exact time of the war. So, of course, this, this, uh, between different conflicts or between different uh, genocides, um, the, source, the sources are changing. But when you are speaking about the victims, when you are speaking about what they uh, feel at the terrific time, what they remember after, what, what was their emotions, uh, I, I, I think, yes, the sources can change, but... Uh, but the story uh, of the humanity uh, remained. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I had wanted to ask you about other parts of the world, and, and it's clear that obviously Auschwitz is the cardinal point of reference. I'm, I was mindful while you were talking about Ukraine. Of course, one of the great problems with the technology is that we have seen also that the technology can be manipulated. And so I know we'll get into these same debates with denialists and revisionists who will say, ah, the metadata were modified or we, you know, something happened and we don't have the same documentation that we need, even though it was digitally recorded. But I'm mindful specifically of a point that you make repeatedly in your conclusions, which is, on the one hand, the words in the experiences of survivors mean something different because it was a different world, right? So I, I was very struck when you mentioned in the book, um, about 100 pages in, that very rarely do survivors use the word murder. Uh, that's a very striking thing, given the overall observation. And I wonder if, I mean, obviously this is a prediction, but when you talk to representatives from the Rohingya, from Rwanda, from uh, maybe, you know, when you think about the experience of the, the Uyghurs in China, those who are experiencing large-scale atrocity, uh, are you worried about this vocabulary and its manipulation? No. As the experience of the historical research on the Holocaust prove it, uh, the manipulations at the end are uh, are in a smaller number than the good historians. And, and, and at the end, the historical truth, uh, I, I think... Uh, uh, will win. Um, but of course, uh, because in general, genocide appears in some non-democratical regimes, uh, 
uh, when there are some entire institutions devoted to propaganda, to populism, to, 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 to a way to uh, rewrite the history, uh, of course there are, there are many difficulties. And uh, that's why I think there's nothing more important than uh, to collect and to, and to, and to work on, on the real sources. Uh, at the end, it is not. Uh, it is not. Uh, let's say a, a, a fiction of our imaginations that will uh, that will that will stay. But, but the, the, the real words of the survivors, of the victims, even if they, as we told before, even if they told us only what they were thinking, that we will be able to understand. Are you worried about the future of Holocaust memory in general in Europe today? Uh, worried? Perhaps not, because I am, uh, I am quite an uh, optimist uh, in general. Uh, but uh, I am a little bit worried about the way that more and more politicians are using history in many countries. Uh, when I was a teenager... In the in the eighties, when on the TV or on some newspapers, uh, I find some uh, some uh, I don't know positions on the history, some discussions about history. It was mainly historians who were discussing. Now, in eighty or ninety percent, it is politicians and not historians. They are not discussing on, on biology or geography or I don't know. Uh, oceanography, but on history every every time, and I, I think it's uh, it's not um, something that uh, that is very mature and 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 and, uh, and, and positive because their role is to do politics and not to, to, to present the historical truth. They have to, to defend an, an ideology, a position, a, a vision, uh, so not, not the goal of the history. Um, history is a very uh, exact science, if you... Certainly the more exact science between all the humanities. Uh, and and uh, the history cannot be um, used for many other reasons, even if those reasons are noble and good. History is a history. You can't change the past. So, so this is something that I, I regret sometimes when I hear uh, how much the historians are use, uh, the politicians are use the history uh, in, their, in their approach, in their discourse, in their populistic, uh, I don't know, uh, way to, to, to speak, uh, uh, even in, in, in those new, very short uh, uh, messages like on, on the tweets or on the Facebook. Or, uh, no, history is something too complex and too important. It is something that is representing our common experience. Uh, you, you cannot use the experience uh, for some other reasons because it, it very shortly it becomes a non-experience, but uh, just a, a political goal. No. If I may, just one final question: Do you have another book on which you're working right now? Uh, I just finished a sort of book or album representing, I don't know, some two hundred uh, plants. 
uh, of Auschwitz uh, designed by uh, by the office of of the so-called Bauleitung, the office of the construction of the camp, that represent different aspects, uh, entire plans of Auschwitz, but also plans, architectural plans, also barracks or or buildings or even gas chambers. Uh, so I tried to have a quite huge collections of those plans. I wanted to present, let's say, a choice of them, but a, a very um, representative choice with some with some um, uh, comments. It is published in Polish and in English, and I was thinking more, more or less uh, on the teachers that can sort of use those those those, those drawings, those, those those plans, or uh, in, in the schools because they are very very sometimes relevant uh, documents created by the SS. Judging by the book that you've sent me, it's going to be a very important work uh, for teachers to use as well. Uh, I did want to say, as a university professor, I hope that this book is widely available uh, for students to access. I know right now the best way to get to uh, Dr. Tsivinsky's book is to go to the website, if I understand correctly, yes. of the museum. Books Auschwitz.org. This is the best way and, and I think the most quick to to receive it by, by, by shipping. So uh, it remains for me to thank our distinguished guest, Dr. Piotr Cywinski, director of the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum, uh, for joining us today and sharing the story of his new book, Auschwitz, a monograph on the human, published in 2022 by the press of the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum. Thank you very much. Thank to you and uh, thank you to everyone who wanted to hear this story. Yes, thank you to our listeners as well. Have a good afternoon.